Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariyah on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salaman ala ibadihi alladhina ustafa. Khususan ala sayyidi rusuli wa khatimil anbiya wa ala alihi al-askiya wa ashabihi al-atqiya amma ba'd. Makam karama is surrounded by mountains. In the valley, you have no idea what's happening in the world beyond the mountains. The people in Mecca, however, had a great advantage. And that was the fact that they lied somewhat in between Sham and Yemen. To their north was Sham the region of today, what we refer to as Syria, where the Byzantine Empire was set. And then down south, they had Yemen. These were areas and regions that were hustle and bustle, strong economies, great agriculture, a lot of produce. The Arabs would travel, Meccans would travel twice a year for their trade. And this is what the Qur'an refers to as رِحْلَةَ الشِّتَاءِ وَالصَّيْفِ That they were able to make seasonal trades and so they would travel up north in one season and then go down south for another season. Like any group of people, protecting their trade route was very important. They were able to freely travel, take their product, go to new markets, sell them, come back home safely. Now among the Arabs, there were these vast deserts because of which they would stop on the way to their destination at these unique points, these settlements. And the people who resided there, it was a tradition, it was a custom that if anyone passed by, they would provide for them. They would give something to them. If this mutual social contract did not exist, if people did not provide for one another, the caravans would be destroyed. Stray travelers would die. There would be no food available for days and days and days. These were people that had some provisions under them, so they would take care of the travelers. And likewise, in return, the second side of this coin also was when the traveling caravans would 
sell their product and when they would head back home on the way while they were fully loaded they would give something to these tribes that here is something from us to you you took care of us on one way here we bring gifts for you on the other way this is important to understand because without this it's difficult to appreciate the hadith of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam where the prophet of allah says alayhi salatu salam the right of hosting another is a minimum of three days. Someone knocks on your door and says, I need to be hosted. You are required to host them for three days. Imam Malik while commenting on these narrations, he said, this haq is only on Ahlul Badia, not on Ahlul Balad. This right only lies for people who live along the Bedouin lands, who are on the outskirts. They are required to host travelers for three days. If you, don't tra- if you don't host them, they will destroy. They will be destroyed. They will perish. But as for people who live in a city, they are not required to host another person for three days. The reason is because if one person says no to you, you find another place. There are so many people there. You find a hostel, you go to a caravansarai, you go to a masjid, you need food, you go to a store, you can go to a market, you can go to a restaurant. All these options are available. One of the tribes outside of Mecca Mukarramah, in between Sham in Mecca, was referred to as the Qabila, the tribe of Ghifar. Like the other tribes that lived along the route, these were people that really relied on the assistance of the travelers. They would give to them, they would rely on being taken care of as well. Unfortunately, when the travelers would not fulfill their part of the social contract, these tribes would then attack them. And they would take their right, using air quotes here. Unfortunately, this would then uh, spin out of proportion and there was a lot of harm done. And there were tribes that became known for their highway robbery for their plundering. The tribe of Ghifar was one of them. There was a person who lived in this tribe by the name of Jundub ibn Junada, who was known in the hadith literature as Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu ta'ala He was one of those people. In the early part of his life, before he becomes Muslim, he was a highway robber. Some narrations tell us that the nature of robbery on his part was also quite serious. One thing about him, where he unfortunately fell short in robbing other people and taking from their rights, he had this pure consciousness. And his pure conscience saved him and pushed him away from worshipping the idols that his tribe and people would worship. He had no desire in idols. When he saw the people worshipping these man-made structures and these man-made pillars that they were worshipping and these man-made shapes that they were worshipping, all of it, he had no interest in it at all. He himself says that even prior to Islam, I worshipped Allah. Someone asked him, which direction did you worship in? He said, in the direction that Allah wanted me to worship. But I always worship, not always, but I did worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prior to becoming Muslim. Now, 
he hears the news that there is a person that claims to be a prophet. He's lucky because he's not too far away from Mecca, just outside of Mecca, his tribe is there. They're hearing news of these caravans that are traveling to and from Mecca, what's happening in Mecca. So he hears the news that there is someone who claims to be a prophet in Mecca. He's intrigued. What is this message? What is this religion? I don't like what my people are doing. I wonder if this is something that I can appreciate and relate to. He says to his brother, whose name is either Anis or Unais, why don't you make the trip to Mecca? Do a little digging around and find out who this person is. His brother arrives in Mecca Mukarramah. He hears the word of the Prophet ﷺ, asks around about the Prophet ﷺ. When he arrives back home, he says to Abu Dhar that, I heard of a man who calls to want Allah and commands his people to join family ties. His message is pure. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari wasn't satisfied, he wanted more. So he said to his brother, you stick back, watch over my family, let me head to Makkah Mukarramah, I will find out who this person is. He arrives in Makkah Mukarramah. He has to be careful. He knows that the Quraysh are hostile to the Prophet. He's heard news and stories that these people are not happy. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari therefore quietly heads over to the Haram, sits near the Kaaba, and is waiting for his opportunity. Doesn't really have a game plan. I'm just gonna sit here and see what happens. Ali bin Abi Talib he sees Abu Dhar sitting in the masjid all day, and he says to him, why don't you come and spend the night with me? Abu Dhar says, sure. He needed a place to spend the night. He sleeps over at Ali radiallahu an's home. The next day around when Abu Dhar radiallahu an arrives in the masjid again, and he's settled down around the Kaaba, waiting for the Prophet sallallahu to arrive. He doesn't know what the Prophet looks like. He has no idea who the Prophet is. Just waiting for his opportunity. The day passes by, Ali radiallahu an sees him again and says, buddy, come on, let's go. Let's get you out of here. Come over to my place. He heads back with him. The third day, again, Abu Dhar al-Ghifari is in the masjid waiting for his opportunity. Ali says to him, has a time not come for the traveler to know his destination? What are you here for? What do you need? So at that point, Abu Dhar al-Ghifari very carefully, because if he said this question, if he asked the question to the wrong person, he could be in trouble. Very carefully he said, I've heard that there is a person that claims to be a prophet. I need your commitment, I need your promise that you won't betray me. I'm here to meet him. Ali radiallahu an says to him, By Allah, he is the messenger of Allah. Let me take you to him. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu an, alongside Ali radiallahu an, they enter upon the Prophet The excitement, the joy, this person has been waiting for day after day for an opportunity to meet the Prophet of Allah. 
when he meets the Prophet وسلم, he says, Assalamu alayka ya Rasulullah. And therefore becomes the first person to give salam to the Prophet of Allah in the history of Islam. Abu Dhar would say, No one gave salam to the Prophet of Allah before I did. I was the first person. Assalamu alayka ya Rasulullah. The Prophet responds to him, Wa alayka salamullahi wa rahmatuhu wa barakatuhu. The Prophet sat with Abu Dhar al-Ghifari and he invites him to Islam. He teaches him the Qur'an, teaches him revelation. Nabi begins to embed in him the roots of this deen, really putting them in. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari sees the Prophet of Allah at a time where no one else has seen him yet. Very few people have had time with the Prophet of Allah. And here Abu Dhar al-Ghifari is sitting with the Prophet of Allah just days after revelation. Just a few days, weeks, whatever, a few days after with Rasulullah getting that one-on-one time with the Prophet Imagine what this has done for him. Imagine what this is doing to him. And some of the most profound interactions between human beings are the brief ones. It's when you meet someone and before you have satisfied your thirst, you have to leave. Your heart is torn apart, you're in pain. But in that moment of panic, you latch on to every memory, every word, every teaching because your thirst was unsatisfied. You weren't able to reach where you wanted to be. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari is with Rasulullah and he himself says, I was either the fourth or fifth to accept Islam. Ala kulli hal, one of the earlier forerunners to become Muslim. So Abu Dhar al-Ghifari now in his own words, he says, I stayed with Rasulullah and the Prophet taught me Islam and he taught me the Quran. And then the Prophet of Allah said to me, لَا تُخْبِرْ بِإِسْلَامِكَ أَحَدٍ فِي Do not announce your Islam to anyone. No one should know you are a Muslim. I fear that they will harm you, they will kill you. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari had a very interesting personality. He was a very courageous person, very strong person. Even prior to Islam, when it came to you know, um, highway robbery, when it came to taking down someone that was in front of him, he had no problem with sucker punching someone. He had no problem with doing what he needed to do to get his outcome. And that did not slip him, he didn't forget that. That I was courageous and strong right until now. I did not fear outcome. I did something that was extremely risky and that put me in harm's way regularly for the sake of this dunya. Now I am a Muslim. The question, what, question is what happens now? And this is the fascinating story about Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu anh. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu anh's story is about a person who didn't necessarily start in the most picture-perfect place. His story doesn't start with him being in the masjid. His story doesn't start with him spending the earlier part of his life memorizing the Qur'an and, 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 and going to madrasa and leading taraweeh prayer. There are those people in our communities who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed with guidance from an early age, that there were family members and parents and people around them that coached them forward. But then there are other people who didn't have that. And the people who didn't have those opportunities earlier in life, 
many of them have actually lived very different lives. They've done things in their life that they are ashamed of. When we had the graduation last week, there was a sheikh who came to visit. He, his, his daughter was in the uh, graduating class of the first year. And uh, I know this sheikh because I had met him in his masjid many years ago. I actually didn't know that his daughter was studying with us. He was a follower of the Sikh religion. He converted to Islam, studied the deen, became a mufti, and now runs a full madrasa. The change in life. Someone starts all the way over there, and now they're all the way on the other side of life. Their circumstances don't hold them back. Their past is in no position. They are not giving the strength to their past to dictate their future. These are people who actually believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and know that He is Al-Muqallib Al-Qulub. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Muqallib Al-Qulub, the turner of hearts. Ya Muqallib Al-Qulub, the one who turns heart. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Al-Muqallib. The hands, the, the, the heart is in the hands of, the, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He turns it one direction or another. The story of Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu anh is someone who started in a compromised place. He started in the place where his nafs had overcome him, where society, where his people didn't push him in the place where he wanted to be. But even though he failed in some ways in life, and there were areas that he was struggling with, on the other side, he had a consciousness. He was buried in sin. He was doing wrong. And this weighed on him. But he still knew that there was something better out there. Therefore, we see before even accepting Islam, he's inclined and keen on finding his way to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Before he's even a Muslim. And now that he becomes Muslim, he doesn't walk away from who he was. He brings who he was with him. Now he redirects his traits to the obedience of Allah and away from the disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This reminds me of a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in which the Prophet of Allah alayhi salatu wasalam said, people are like mines of gold and silver. People are like mines. A person that's digging away, mining away. You come across you know, a massive mine, so much is sitting there. These minerals are there, there's gold, there are metals there. That's what they are. Human beings are dormant. There's so much good that they're sitting on. So much potential. Every single one of you, you're sitting on a lot of potential. But it can't come out unless someone comes there and helps you dig it out. You need someone there to bring it out to take it from the ground and then bring it over to the market. This is what Imam al-Shafi'i refers to in one of his poems where he warns people of complacency. He says that water, once it stops moving, it becomes stale and that's where bugs come. But as long as it keeps moving, khair comes out of it, good comes out of it. Never stop in your life. Don't be happy with one place. He talks about gold, that if it just if it remains in its, in its place in the ground, then it has no value. In order for it to become valuable, it must move from there. 
It has to leave where it is. Someone needs to come and pull it out. It has to be refined. And then, and only then, will its value be seen. And this is the example of the Sahaba that Rasulullah was this magnet that brought all of this talent together. These are people that had khair sitting. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the companions on the most pure form of fitrah. But society and their realities of life had pushed them far away, just sitting on a tremendous amount of potential. They were dormant. In comes Rasulullah and when the time is right, one by one, they break out of their shells. And each one has a story. And these people then explode into sources of khair. Each of them is a carrier of an entire ummah. Each one is a source of inspiration, a guiding star that if you follow it, you will find your path. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam referred to people as mines of gold and silver. And the thing about this dunya is that it'll keep you buried. That's the thing about the material world that we live in. That's the thing about luxury. That's the thing about wealth. It buries a person from their true spiritual potential. You stay distracted. It's about meeting to meeting, job to job, dollar to dollar, bill to bill. The human being is put asleep. This deen is to wake the heart up. It's to open the eyes of the insan. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, human beings, anasu kama'adin. Human beings are like mines. Ma'adin al-dhahabu al-fidda. Like mines of gold and silver. Khiyaruhum fil jahiliyati, khiyaruhum fil islami idha faquhu. Those that were best in jahiliyah prior to Islam will then become the best in Islam when they grow in their understanding of the deen. So what you look at Malcolm X, rahimahullah, great example, passionate man, so much energy. Islam only increases that person in good. Al-Islam yazid al-Sharif al-Sharafa. An honorable person, when they accept Islam, Islam only increases them in that honor. That talent is there. You'll see this in people who accept Islam, uh, the newer members of our Muslim community, the energy they have, the khayr in them. This existed in them prior to Islam, now that they become Muslim, you have to channel it. Keep that going. Abu Dhar al-Difari learns Islam from the Prophet He says his shahada, Nabi says, Abu Dhar, let's keep this quiet. There's no need for you to do anything. Head back to your tribe. And actually at this point, Nabi did not even instruct him to head back. The Prophet said, keep it quiet. He said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, I can't. I can't stay quiet. From his perspective, I've taken on a risk. I've put my life in the path of danger for the sake of a few dollars. Why am I going to stop doing that for something as beautiful as the deen? So he arrives at the haram. The Quraysh are seated around the Kaaba. In the middle of their conversations, Abu Dhar al-Difari stands amidst them. And with a loud voice, he says, Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah wa ashadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. The Quraysh are triggered. They lose it. They 
pounce on him and they beat him and they beat him and they beat him relentlessly. In his own words, They weren't hitting me to injure me. These guys were beating me to kill me. Abbas bin Abdul Muttalib, the uncle of Rasulullah who later on also accepts Islam. He is the one that swoops in to save Abu Dhar al-Ghifari As he pulls him out, he turns to the Quraysh and says, are you trying to kill someone from Ghifar? These are the people that will rob every one of your caravans if this guy dies. All of your tijara to Sham will shut down overnight. You will lose your trade route. Walk away from this person. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari after suffering at the hands of the Quraysh, he returns to meet Rasulullah Nabi sees him in the state and very saddened. The Prophet of Allah says, Did I not tell you to stay quiet? He says, O Messenger of Allah, something I had to do. It was in my heart. I needed to do this. I needed to do this for me. This was important for me. So the Prophet said to him, Why don't you head back to your tribe? Head back home, stay there. When Islam is announced, when we are in a stronger position, when we are in a place where it's safe to be with us, return back with your tribe. Until then, stay with your people, give them da'wah to Islam. Abu Dhar al-Jafari heads back home. He, met, he meets his brother. His brother says, how did that go? Well, this is what the Prophet said. This is his message. I have so much to tell you. His brother accepts Islam. They head on to their mother. Mama, guess what we heard? Guess what the Prophet ﷺ taught us? They give this da'wah to their mother. Their mother accepts Islam. He then continues giving this da'wah to the people of his tribe. Some of them accept. The other half say that we are not ready to accept yet because he is at war or they are at crossroads with the Quraysh. And if they don't succeed, the Quraysh will come after us. So we will wait. And if the Prophet Muhammad and his people gain dominance, we will then accept Islam. But we need to wait it out a little. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala willed for Abu Dhar al-Ghifari to remain away from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for a long period. The remaining years of Makkah Mukarramah, the Prophet ﷺ, he went through what he went through when the companions were by his side. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari wasn't able to be with Rasulullah ﷺ. Nabi ﷺ told him to wait. And in one narration, he told him to wait until he was called. The Prophet ﷺ arrives in Medina Munawwara. The Battle of Badr takes place. The Battle of Uhud takes place. The Battle of Khandaq takes place. And he can't be by the side of Rasulullah Finally, Nabi calls him. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari arrives to Medina Munawwara with everyone. To the, with the whole tribe. 
When he sees Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam smiles at him. He stands up to greet him. Old memories. 20 years ago, this man right here was putting himself out there, ready to die for the deen. This is my old buddy Abu Dhar al-Ghifari. He says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to always smile when he saw me. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would always greet me with so much love. Abu Dhan Ghifari radiallahu anh, is now not alone but with a whole group of people. And after they accept Islam, the Prophet wasallam said, Ghifarun ghafar Allahu laha wa aslam salamah Allah. Nabi sallallahu made dua for both tribes, Ghifar and Aslam. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forgiven them. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu an was known by the companions as one who kept himself away from worldly pleasures. This was a very important part of what Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught him. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught him this lesson that avoid the dunya. It'll harm you. It'll bring you down to your knees. It'll destroy you. If you just read the narrations from Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu an, you will find change occur to your heart. They're very deep. They touch the heart at a spiritual level. The famous riwayah, Hadith Qudsi. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam teaches us in the Hadith Qudsi, um, each and every one of you is misguided, uh, except for the one that I have guided. So seek guidance from me, I shall guide you. In the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This riwayah is from Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu and other narrations as well. Now, Abu Dhar radiallahu he was given this very firm form of tarbiyah by the Prophet which created a personality. He was someone that was very, very upfront and very straightforward. He says that I heard Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam say, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam taught me specifically. This is the lesson he gave me, and he lived by this lesson. O Sali Khalili bi Khamsin, my dear friend sallallahu alayhi wasallam gave me five instructions. Arhamul masakin wa ujalisu that I show mercy to the poor and that I spend my life with them. This is what softens the heart. It brings beauty out of an insan. That I keep my eyes fixated on those that are under me when it comes to the material and worldly possessions. And not to look at those that are above me. I'm telling you, when you're on your social media and you're browsing and there is a video of a fancy home or a fancy car, one of the best things you can do is as quick as you can, browse past it. Don't fixate your eyes. Don't look at these things. They will harm you. Just like a haram glance, when a person looks at the opposite gender, it's like a spear in your heart, like an arrow in your heart. The same goes with the dunya. You have to learn to turn away from it. You can't keep looking. Because the more you look, it digs its claws in. The more you stare at it, the more it reels you in. 
وأنظر إلى من تحتي ولا أنظر إلى من فوقي وأن أصل الرحم وإن أدبرت The Prophet ﷺ taught me to maintain family ties even if those people turn away, even if that person isn't fulfilling their right to the relationship. And that I speak the truth even if it is bitter. And that I abundantly say, This statement right here, this advice of Rasulullah basically is the mold of Abu Dharr al-Ghifari and this is who he was. Spent his life with the masakin, with poor people. Gave no attention to worldly possessions. One Amir sent him 300 dirham as a gift. Abu Dharr al-Ghifari said, Was there no one less worthy in your eyes than me? You think so little of me that you sent me the dunya? I have no desire for it at all. A person comes to Abu Dharr al-Ghifari home, and he sees there are no possessions. So he says, where are your possessions? Where's your furniture? Abu Dharr al-Ghifari says, I've sent off everything valuable to me to a home that I will live in eternally. So that person said, but you live in the dunya, you should have some stuff here too. He said, well, the owner of this abode has refused me eternity here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He has refused it. So I'm not going to waste my time here. I'm going to focus on the Akhirah. The Prophet ﷺ announced that all Muslims in Medina Munawwara had to enlist themselves in the army that was headed towards Tabuk. This was against the Romans. It was a very intense moment. There was this long journey ahead of them. They were going to face the Romans. So the Prophet ﷺ did what we call nafira'am. He invited everyone. Everyone, enlist yourself. Everyone has to come. All hands on deck. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari unfortunately, due to some circumstances, he fell behind. He says, Ibn Mas'ud says, لَمَّا سَارَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمُ إِلَىٰ تَبُوكَ جَعَلَ لَا يَزَالُ يَتَخَلَّفُ الرَّجُلُ فَيَقُولُ يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ تَخَلَّفَ فُنَانُ فَيَقُولُ دَعَوْهُ إِنْ يَكُنْ فِيهِ خَيْرٌ فَسَيَلْحَقُكُمْ Ibn Masood says that when we departed from Medina Munawwara and were headed off to Tabuk, because all hands were required on deck, everyone was required to enlist. As they left Medina Munawwara, it became clear who did join and who didn't join. So the people who weren't seen, people would come and say, O oh, Messenger of Allah, I haven't seen so-and-so. I haven't seen so-and-so. You know, this person's missing, that person's missing. Every time someone was mentioned, the Prophet of Allah would say, leave it, da'uhu, just leave it. إِن يَكُنْ فِيهِ خَيْرٌ فَسَيَلْحَقُكُمْ If that person is good, he will meet us, he will join us. وَإِن يَكُنْ غَيْرُ ذَلِكَ فَقَدْ أَرَاحَكُمُ اللَّهُ مِنْهُ and if there is no good in that person, then Allah has relieved you of that person's evil. It's good he didn't come. Good riddance. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari fell behind. He had issues with his camel. He was waiting for his, his animal to heal. He sat behind and it was very heavy on him. Finally, he just loaded his stuff on his animal 
and he walked. Ibn Masood says that we saw a person approaching far away. This man was walking in the desert, making his way towards us. Someone said, O Messenger of Allah, there's a man coming from far away. He's there. The Prophet of Allah said, Oh, I hope it's Abu Dhar. I really want him here. When the people looked carefully, they saw it was Abu Dhar al Ghifari radiallahu anhu. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Rahimallahu Abu Dhar, Yamshi wahdahu, wa yamut wahdahu, wa yubaath wahdahu. May Allah's mercy be upon my man Abu Dhar. Today he walks alone, tomorrow he will die alone, and then he will be resurrected alone as well. Time passed by. Rasulullah passed away. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari really struggled with Medina Munawwara after the Prophet passed away. Too many memories. It was heavy on him. He joined the army and relocated to Sham during the Khilafah of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq and Umar During the Khilafah of Uthman he resided for a period in Damascus. And then Uthman had him relocate to Medina Munawwara. When he arrived in Medina Munawwara, Abu Dhar al-Ghifari was very bold about what he believed in. The teachings of Rasulullah could not slip him. He couldn't stop talking about them because he really believed in them. And the one that taught him this lesson was the Prophet of Allah, the most beloved to him in this dunya. Once he was performing Hajj, and he was by the Jamara, where the pelting takes place. And there were a group of people around him, and someone came to him and said, you know, Weren't you told not to speak publicly? Something, someone said something like this to him. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari said to that person, Get away from me. If Nabi taught me something, there is no power in the world that can stop me from teaching it. Because it was a lesson of Rasulullah This is how they viewed their role in the scene of da'wah. That this is what my life is. I was created for this. And it's fascinating because today when we look at ourselves, we are the first people to step away from da'wah. We have one small fear that someone will say something. Someone will do something. If I say this word, or if I, if I speak openly about what I believe in, people will come and you know, cut us off and they'll shut us. We'll become the outcasts of society. Where will we go? We will be an oppressed minority. What good is there in being a respected minority if you, there's nothing to respect? If you've abandoned your values, if you can't speak your own truth, what khayr is there in you? Learn to speak your truth. Be confident. How was Abu Dhar able to speak his truth? Because there was nothing in this dunya that held him back. There was no fear. What am I gonna leave? Worst case scenario, you'll take away my family, you'll take away my wealth. 
You'll take away my home? I don't have any of it anyway. My family knows who I am and I know who they are. What, you'll take my life from me? I've been waiting to go to the Akhirah. This story of Abu Dhar al-Ghifari is a very powerful one. Where we have the stories of other companions who taught us how to deal with wealth, who taught us how to live in this dunya and to, and to engage with the markets and engage with the material. We have those stories. But on the other hand, we have the story of Abu Dhar al-Ghifari When he arrived in Medina Munawwara, it was very difficult for him to see what Medina Munawwara had become. By now, the Roman and Persian Empire have fallen. So much wealth has poured into Medina Munawwara. People now have beautiful homes and there are these hustle bustle markets and people yesterday who didn't have anything now have so much. When he saw the parties, when he saw the gatherings, when he saw people spending so much and living by his definition lavishly, imagine if they were to see us today, he couldn't bear it. So he would then preach and publicly call people out. This is not right. This is wrong. This is wrong. He held a position that it was impermissible for a person to possess wealth more than they need for that one day of theirs. So some of the people of Medina Munawwara filed a complaint to Uthman ibn Affan an, that Abu Dhar is too strict and too harsh. Sayyidina Uthman ibn Affan an, he called Abu Dhar and he said, Abu Dhar, I need you to tone it down. How about you live in this area that we will assign for you, we will take care of all of your needs. Stay in this area, live in this community, but lay off of people a little bit. Abu Dhar was unwilling to accept this. If I live in Medina, I will teach the message of the Rasul So then Uthman said, I think then the best would be for you to relocate outside of Medina Munawwara to a place called Rabda. Abu Dhar al-Tifari agreed. And once again, he left Medina Munawwara. He believed in his principles. That if I will live, I will live by these principles. When death came to him, his wife was with him. There was a servant there. His wife was sad that no one is here. The great Sahabi of Rasulullah Abu Dhar is dying and even that alone. It seems like some of these friends of Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected them even at their time of their death, that they did not die with glory, they died alone. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari is one of them. His wife was crying, Ah, oh, the companion Abu Dhar is dying and no one is by his side. So he said to his wife and his servant, إِذَا مِتُّ فَغْسِلَانِي وَكَفِّنَانِي وَضَعَانِي عَلَى الطَّرِيقِ فَأَوَّلُ رَكْبٍ يَمُرُّونَ بِكُمْ فَقُولَا هَذَا أَبُو ذَرْ He said, after I die, wash my body, shroud me, and carry me to the side of the road. The first group of people that pass by, tell them who I am. He passed away. They did as they were instructed. They stood by the side of the road waiting for people to pass by to help them in the burial. There was a group of people. They turned to them and said, 
the great companion of the Prophet of Allah has passed away. In that caravan was Abdullah ibn Mas'ud He said, who? They said, Sayyidina Abu Dhar al-Ghifari فَإِذَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنُ مَسْعُودِ فِي رَهْدٍ فِي رَهْدٍ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكُوفَةِ فَقَالَ مَا هَذَا قِيلَ جَنَازَةُ أَبِي ذَرِّ فَاسْتَهَلَّ إِبْنُ مَسْعُودِ يَبْكِي إِبْنُ مَسْعُودَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ بِكَانَ يَبْكِي تَرَاهُ إِبْنُ مَسْعُودِ أَبُو ذَرِّ هَذَا لَفْتَ في مومنت سَعَى أَشَارَ وَيَذْكُرُ الْحَدِيثَ مِنْ رَوَاهُ تَبُوكَ أَنْوَنْ يَرْمَرُهُ so now that he stands at the body of Abu Dhar al-Ghifari Ibn Masood crying, he said, Sadaqa Rasulullah, the Prophet of Allah spoke the truth. Yarhamallahu Abu Dhar, yamshi wahdahu wa yamutu wahdahu wa yub'athu wahdahu. That Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told us this. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told us that Abu Dhar would live alone and he would die alone, and he will also be resurrected alone. This is the story of Abu Dhar al-Ghifari So fascinating. Where does his life start? His life starts as a highway robber, but that doesn't hold him back. He desires the truth, he seeks the truth. He finds the truth, and the courage that carried him through the first part of the life, of his life, now he knocks on that very same door and uses that courage to live his life as a Muslim. Islam doesn't change the essence of a human being. Islam gives people the opportunity to use their nature and their, and their internal characteristics to do good with. You can do better. You can accomplish more. You have to utilize what you have. You can use your skill set. You can use your compassion. You can use your passion. You can use your knowledge to do good. But you have to first believe in that good. And then the story of Abu Dhar al-Ghifari is one full of loneliness. How does Abu Dhar feel knowing that he has to leave the Prophet of Allah just days after he becomes Muslim because the Prophet of Allah says, you need to go home. And the next time he sees Rasulullah is roughly 18 years later, after Khandaq. The fourth or fifth person to accept Islam, the Prophet of Allah sends him. So much happens in between, he hears of it all, he's listening to it all, but he can't be with the Prophet of Allah because the Prophet of Allah told him to head back. And now after Khandaq, he's with Rasulullah Every moment he cherished. He pushed himself, he became something. Because he believed in it. And as life went on, things didn't change for him. He was, if anything, more convinced of his truth. The story of Abu Dhar al-Ghifari teaches us, as was the essence of his teaching, that avoid positions in this world. Avoid being attached to this world. There's one interesting riwayah that I'll share with you that Ibn Sa'ad narrates um, from Yahya ibn Sa'id al-Sari qala akhbarana al-Harith ibn Yazid al-Hadramiyu anna Aba Dharrin sa'ala Rasulullah al-Imra 
that Abu Dhar al-Ghifari said, O Messenger of Allah, um, appoint me to a position of leadership, imara. There are people that are being sent as guides. I can also be an ambassador. Rasulullah says, إِنَّكَ ضَعِيفٌ That's not you, Abu Dhar. وَإِنَّهَا خِزْيٌ وَنَدَامَةٌ And leadership leads to disgrace and remorse. When a person's in a position of leadership, it'll dis- it's a khizy, because now people will hold you accountable on the Day of Judgment. And people who are in positions of leadership, one common thing that you'll see in them, if they are people of righteousness, is that they will feel sad and sorry over the rights they have violated along the way. A true leader hears their voice before anyone else hears it. When they raise their voice at someone, it stains their heart. It hurts them that I hurt another person. I violated the right of another person. Except for the one who fulfills the right of leadership, Nabi wasallam discourages him. So he spent the rest of his life um, in service of other people, not having too many worldly ambitions. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him that strength. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, مَا أَقَلَّتِ الْغَبْرَاءُ وَلَا أَضَلَّتِ الْخَضْرَاءُ مِنْ رَجُلٍ أَصْدَقَ لَهْجَةً مِنْ أَبِي ذَرْ That Abu Dhar is a truthful man. This man is real. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not faking it. There's nothing about him that's a lie. We can talk the good. But the question is, are we willing to live it? Are we willing to make the sacrifice required to stand behind what we call towards? Our ummah and our, our world has had enough of people talking. If anything, we live in a time where we need to stop talking. We have too many social media da'is, we have too many khatibs, we have too many speakers. Way too many. I'm surprised. I mean, we need to understand that we need to cut down the public speaking. When I see, you know, communities, institutions, masajid, teaching young kids public speaking, in my heart I almost feel like saying that this is not a good idea. Children should not be taught public speaking. They need to first be taught ibadah, dhikr, istighfar, deen, ilm. Learn to serve the deen as a servant of Allah. If everyone is studying the deen so tomorrow they can give a halaqa, what khair is there in that? That if we don't have the youth do their own halaqa, then they lose interest and they won't attend anymore. That's very bad. That whole model, the premise is faulty. You don't put people in leadership positions because that's the only thing that keeps them attached to the deen. What, tomorrow you're going to hire the next person that walks to your door as a CEO because if they don't get the position, they'll walk away? You're allowing your employees to hold you hostage? We're allowing the people in our community who don't have a deeper understanding of the deen to hold the deen hostage, that if you don't give us this, we won't have that. This is not how it works. How it works is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you prominence. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will amplify your voice. Why is it that we're talking about Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu anhu today? There was no platform. يَمْشِي وَحْدَهُ يَمُوتُ وَحْدَهُ يُبْعَثُ وَحْدَهُ I mean, if there's anything, this hadith shows us, the Prophet of Allah is saying, this man will be alone. 
But 1400 years later, we still hear his words echoing in our hearts and our ears. Why? Because this is the formula. The formula is you build yourself. The formula is you establish your conviction, your yaqeen. The formula is that you spend 18 years tucked away just doing your thing. 18 years with this tribe, with this people. No name, no fame. And then when it's time for you to shine, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send you forward. All this talking without the right foundation, all this social media presence without developing yourself, without taking out time for your own tahajjud, without learning the importance of dua, without having a daily routine of dhikr, without being connected to teachers and mashayikh, this whole house of cards will come crumbling down and that is certain. There's no two ways around it. It will come crumbling down. If history has taught us anything, it's taught us this. The foundations are not strong, a small little shake, it all comes down. When the foundations are strong, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, will give birth to great things. And this is the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what we learn from the example of Sayyidina Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu anhu. We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants us tawfiq to learn from these examples and inspires us, gives us tawfiq and strength to live um, the way they did. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to learn from them. You know, when people read the story of Abu Dhar radiallahu anhu, there are those people that say that, oh, that's extreme. There's no need, there's no need to say that. It's unnecessary. Each Sahabi represents a profile. They were given a lesson by Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. You need to ask yourself, which profile fits you? What can you benefit from? We spend too much time reading history and reading hadith and reading Quran through our predetermined, pre-fixed lens, forcing everything to bend so it fits our eyes like a lens. You guys understand that? That everything has to fit within this. That's not what we want. That's not healthy. It's not a sign of health. Learn to appreciate things for what they are. Learn to appreciate people for who they are. Learn to appreciate the teachings of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam for what they were. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.